Who's ready to take some more of your life back today? Let's go ahead and get started with, with this today. Um, this is part two of our February series, Take Your Life Back. And man, last Sunday was enough to, I mean, I could have preached about that one message, that one teaching. I could go the whole month with just last Sunday, but we're going to go through four different things that we're taking back. And today, um, this is part two. And let's, as we get started, let's look at our our theme verse for this month, for this series. It's from Joel chapter 2, verses 23 through 25 says, Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more, the autumn rains will come, as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain, and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. And the Lord says, come on, let's read that next phrase all together. I will give you back. Let's read it again. I will give you back what, the, what you lost to the swarming locust, the hopping locust, the stripping locust, and the cutting locust. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. And we started learning last Sunday, right, that Jesus came not only to forgive, not only to redeem, but he came that through forgiveness, through the salvation that we received through, received through what he did on the cross, he came to restore. Everybody say restore. restore. Jesus came to restore our life. And this verse that we read here in Joel chapter 2 talks about the autumn and the spring rains. And this really goes along with what we talked about for a full month of January, which was heaven open, right? And we talked about how ever since the day of Pentecost, when God poured his spirit out on all people, that heaven is open. And it's talking about these, these rains, the autumn and the spring rains, or the former and the latter rain. And this refers to the reality that God is pouring his spirit out like rain on us. And with the rain of his spirit comes a great promise. And that promise is, let's say it again, restoration. Everybody say Restoration. God doesn't want to just forgive us. He doesn't want to just heal us. He wants to totally and completely restore our lives from everything that has been taken from us because of sin. And last week, man, how many of you were challenged and encouraged last week by the first message of this series? I really do want to encourage you. I don't always say this, but if you weren't here last Sunday and you didn't hear it yet, go online and listen to last Sunday. We talked about taking our soul back because there's nothing more important to take back than your soul, right? We learned that, come on, let's say, my soul is my responsibility, right? It's my property. And we learned about the importance of taking our soul back. We talked about a topic that, again, I could talk the entire month about. We talked about boundaries, right? Has anybody been working on your boundaries this week? Am I the only one or is there anybody else in the house this morning that has had your boundaries challenged a little bit this week? Has anybody had to fight for your boundaries this week? Keep on going. Keep on going. Don't give up on your boundaries. Boundaries are godly. And one of the main boundaries that we need to establish, one of the main boundaries that we need to fight for is what we're going to talk about today, and that is in the area of our time. Come on, tell your neighbor, it's time to take your time back. Now turn to somebody else and tell them, it's time, man, or, or girl, lady, woman, it's time to take your time back. That's what we're going to tackle today, because I don't know if we all agree, 
but I'm pretty sure most of us agree that time flies, right? You ever felt like time is just running? It's just flying by, and it's like you're just like grasping to try to, to even keep up. It's like time just gets away, and there's no getting it back, right? And today we're going to learn how to take our time back. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, our main verse today. See, then that you walk circumspectly, that means upright, right? Not looking down, not, not stooped over, but upright. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And now we have this kind of qualifying thing that can determine at least to some extent whether I'm wise or foolish. I don't know, does, how many in the house want to be wise and not fools, right? It says to walk not as fools but as wise. And then let's read that next phrase. It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We've got to redeem the time, right? What does it mean to redeem? To redeem means to take back or even to buy back, right? When something has been lost or been given away or has been taken away, to redeem it means that you take it back and in some cases you buy it back. How many of you know you can't buy time? But we can take time back if we do things according to the principles we find in God's word. There are some enemies of our time. And I don't pretend today that I can cover this whole topic because, again, we could go a whole month just on this topic. But today I want to talk to you about three enemies that take away our time. Can any of you, even without looking at this, begin to list? This takes away my time and this takes away my time. And if you really take a look at it, sometimes I give my time away to these things, right? But I want to talk about three enemies of our time that we just need to plunder, we need to go like we are at war and we're going to go to these enemies and we're going to plunder and we're going to take back what's been taken from us. Come on, tell your neighbor, take it back. Yeah. All right. They're listed in your outline. Let me give you one, two, three, and then we're going to go through each of them. All right. The first enemy of our time is laziness. The second enemy of our time is indiscipline. And the third, and most likely for many of you, worst enemy of your time is overload. Laziness, indiscipline, and overload. I'm going to talk quickly about number one and number two because I really want to spend some time today on number three. Is that all right? You ready to listen quick to number one and number two? Let's not have lazy years this morning. Are you ready? Number one, laziness. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. I walk by the field of a lazy person. The vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. Those are like weeds. It was covered with weeds. Its walls were broken down. And then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Proverbs 26, 13 through 16. A lazy person claims, and I'm going to try to read this like I think it's written. Come on, can anybody give me, show me a lazy 
Just show me a lazy face, a lazy attitude. Show me how lazy people, how, how, if I'm being lazy or if you're being lazy, show, show me how lazy people look at people that aren't being lazy. Gosh. All right. Think of it, all right? Think of it that, like that. This is, this is the voice. Can you give me a lazy voice? I don't know. Say something lazy like, I'm not lazy. Oh my gosh, I'm so tired and overwhelmed. I have like so much to do. We're going to talk about overload because some of you do have way too much to do. But this is what a lazy person claims. There's a lion out on the road. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lion out there. As the door swings back and forth on its hinges. So a lazy person turns over and over in bed. Lazy people take food in their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouth. It's just too hard. Lazy people consider themselves, and here's the key, smarter than seven wise counselors. And today I want to bust the lazy bones myth. If you are lazy, it's because you think lazy. It is not because you are incapable. It isn't necessarily because you don't have enough energy. It's because you don't think that you do. If you, can t- if you really examine these scriptures, and if you look at every scripture in the Bible, because there's a lot of them, believe me, about laziness, it's all up here. Laziness really isn't in the body. Laziness is in the mind. But listen, you are what you think. We act the way that we think. And so if I think lazy, I'm going to act lazy. Laziness is more than a physical issue. It really is mostly in the mind. Laziness is a lie. Laziness is a lie. It deceives you into believing you're incapable or less capable than you really are. So here is the lazy one's motto. Why even do anything? Why even try? You ever met somebody that's like, dude, you could do this. Do this. I mean, like, get up and do something. (sighs) I just don't think I can, so I'm not going to even try. See, laziness is a lie because you are way more capable than you give yourself credit for. What am I talking about? Let me just give you an example of how this works because I felt this in my own life. Anybody ever been lazy before? Come on, let's be. Have you ever had a lazy day? And I don't mean a restful day. Restful days are good, but a lazy day when you should have gotten something accomplished and you just didn't. All right? This is what laziness feels like. Um, I thought I couldn't get anything done. But when I just got up and actually started doing something, I realized I can do this. That's what laziness feels like when you break through it. Have you ever felt lazy, but once you actually got up and started moving, you didn't feel lazy anymore? Yeah? 
I hope so. Here's just a take your life back tip. Let's take our time back. Here's a tip. If you feel lazy and unproductive, do the exact opposite of what you feel and think. If you're feeling lazy and unproductive, just do the exact opposite. Get up, get moving, do something, harness your energy because you have some. Come on. Just do something and you're going to realize that you're much more capable than you think. You're going to realize that you actually have more energy than you think you have. When we have the least energy is when we tell ourselves, I don't have any energy. I just can't do it, right? Get up. Take your life back. Take your time back. Don't give away your time to the lazy bones, right? Now, am I, am I making light of the fact that some days you are tired out? Absolutely not. There are days when in reality, I might feel lazy, but it's not laziness. It's tiredness. Because I've just gone, 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 gone. And I have literally have used all my energy. And so I don't have any energy left over. That's a different thing. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. That's different. When you truly have used, all, used up all of your energy, that's not laziness. But when you find yourself just day after day, situation after situation, just kind of like, I'm not going to even try because I don't feel like I can, you are being lied to by laziness. Okay? Look up the scriptures throughout the Bible about laziness. Get them in your heart. Get them in your mind. And let's be careful not to be deceived by the lie of laziness. All right? Are we okay? Number two. Can't get many amens on that one. Man, that was quiet. I don't know if I'm going to get any more on this one. In discipline. In discipline. Trying to help y'all out a little bit. Just give it a try this week. Seriously. I challenge you. I dare you. You feel lazy. And it's not because you really have worked your butt off for 48 hours without stopping or whatever. I don't know. You just feel like, I don't want to do anything. Get up and do something and watch what happens. I challenge you. Okay? Number two, indiscipline. We need to make the most of our time. And I want to give you a phrase that is going to help you out, all right? I think this is in your bulletin. Don't let, don't just let time run. Give it some tracks to run on. Don't let time just run. Give it some tracks to run on. Proverbs 16, 19. The cop-out of the indisciplined person, all right? It says, I'm going to read it like you shouldn't read it, all right? You ready to read it like you shouldn't read it? Because we read the Bible wrong sometimes. Are you ready to read it wrong? Let's read it wrong. Let's just read it wrong. Well, we make our plan, but the Lord determines our steps. Almost like, what's the use of making plans if the Lord just determines everything anyway? That is not what that says. That is not the context of that scripture. And if that's what it said, it would go against what the whole rest of the Bible says. That is not how it says that. So be careful how you read the scriptures. It says, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. 
Plans and steps are two different things. Plans are what you want to see come to pass. Steps are just how you get there. It doesn't say we make our plans and then the Lord busts them all and changes them all. So forget planning because it doesn't matter. That's not what it says. Plans and steps are two different things. We make our plans. That's a good thing. But even in our planning, the Lord will determine our steps. Have you ever made a plan and you thought you were going to get from A to B like this? But if you're really walking with the Lord, you get from A to B eventually. But it was like, instead of this, it was like. See, a lot of times God speaks to us and puts plans and desires and things in our heart. And we have to be responsible to make our plans, right? To use our time for his plans. But we also have to trust him enough that when we make our plans, we can trust that he'll lead us along the steps of how to get there. Because another thing a lot of people do, there there are people, we're going to talk about indiscipline, but overly disciplined. Like, I made my plan, and Lord, you better stick to it. How many of you know that doesn't work? And we get all bent out of shape, right? Because like, well, I thought we were going to do it this way. And then the Lord kind of like doesn't necessarily lead you in that way. And you, you, what's wrong, Lord? And he's like, you're wrong. (laughs) Would you let me guide your steps? Thank you for making your plan. Thank you for being responsible and disciplined enough to plan to use time and not let time use you, okay? But let me determine the steps that it takes to get to that plan. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And listen, again, let's not use the I'm waiting on the Lord cup out. A lot of times, and and please hear me, I am not being ugly, I'm not being mean, I am first of all, like I did last Sunday, preaching to myself, okay? I'm just trying to help all of us with some stuff, because I kind of notice we have an issue with time. I'm just waiting on the Lord. Well, okay, sometimes we are supposed to wait, But waiting doesn't necessarily mean doing nothing. Don't use this as a cop-out. I'm just not going to do anything because I just wait. It's like we wait on the Lord to like sovereignly, supernaturally zap and, and make something happen. And in reality, waiting on the Lord is like waiting a table. Anybody ever been a server, waiter, waitress? Have you ever had one before? Okay. What do waiters and waitresses do? What do they, how, do they, how do they wait on you? Now, I'll tell you what they don't do. Well, they're not supposed to. I've had some. They just stand over in a corner and just wait. They wait on you, which means they are attentive to you and what you might need and what you might want. And they constantly check on you to see what you need and what you want. They wait on you, right? Waiting on the Lord. Although in some situations, you will hear God say, stop and do nothing and just wait. But most of the time, that's not how it works. A lot of the time, waiting on the Lord is, I'm going to do what I know I should do as I wait for him to respond. Yeah. 
I'm going to go forward with the plan I believe he put in my heart, and I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to wait on his, what I think he wants and what I think he needs or desires, right? And I'm going to wait and expect him to guide my steps, right? Not just stand over in a corner and wait on one day God to do something. I've heard people say, I'm just not a planner. Well, with all due respect, it's time to change. God is a planner, and we're made in his image. Don't use it as a cop-out. Like, I'm just not that kind of person. I just don't plan. Listen, I'm not saying you need to be, you know, this perfectionist that has your calendar and your schedule and color coordinated and you know all this kind of stuff I know that we all have different personalities and everything but let me tell you one thing if you don't plan how to use your time the world and the current and the flow will take you along with it time is running (laughs) time is flying and it'll if you don't, if you don't ins- consistently, intentionally plan how you're going to use your time, time will just kick you off your feet and just take you. Has anybody ever been there where you didn't plan how, what you were going to do with your time? And so it was just like, I just lost a bunch of time. No, so let's let, let just get that out of our vocabulary. I'm not a planner. You actually are because you were created in the image of God. And I've li- I lived many years not planning, just kind of by the seat of my pants, going with the flow. Let me tell you, you don't want to go with the flow. <laughs> the flow is not going to take you where you want to go. We must plan how we're going to use our time. Responsible planning is part of Ephesians 5.16. I want us to go back, to, sorry, to that first verse up there, Ephesians 5.16, where it says, Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Write this down, okay? The New Living Translation, as well as several others, translate that phrase as making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity. That's what it says, redeeming the time, okay? Responsible planning is part of redeeming our time, a part of making the most. And there's one thing I I, I figured out, you know, I'm I'm 38 years old, and I feel now what I've heard older people say. The older you get, time just goes faster, right? And I know that 38 isn't all that old, but it's not 28, and it's not 18, okay? And I can vouch for that feeling. It's a very real feeling. It really does. The older you get, it really, truly does feel like time just goes by faster. Like, are you serious? Anna is seven today? It just seems like she just was, like, born and keeping us up all night. And it it just feels like things go faster and faster and faster and faster. But reality is the clock isn't moving any faster. It's just that our lives change and what we have to get done and our energy levels and all that changes as we age. And so I want to tell you this. We all have the same amount of time. Because a lot of people just say this all the time. I have said this. I just don't have any time. Well, reality is every human being has 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for 70, 80, 90 or so years on the planet, okay? A a, a typical life, right? 
We all have the same amount of time, but we most definitely don't all use our time the same. And a lot of the reason sometimes that we don't use or make the most of our time is because we don't plan how to use our time. Many times we don't experience. Have you ever been waiting on the Lord's guidance? And a lot of times we're just left waiting on the Lord's guidance because we didn't take the responsibility of planning how to use the time he's given us. We've already been given time. We've been given the gift of time. And he made us in his image to plan how we are to use his time and then trust him through the process, right? Now, I've only seen the Lord redirect my steps when my steps already had a direction. I've only seen him, I've only experienced that. I know that a lot of people's attitude is I'm just going to sit here and do nothing until he directs my steps. But in my life and in my experience and what I see in the Bible and what I have noticed in the lives of men and women of God that have walked with God for many years is that the Lord sometimes redirects our steps, but it's typically when somebody's already going in a direction. You know, it's, it's one thing, it's one thing to, I don't know, kick the soccer ball from the side of the field that is inanimate and it's not moving and you try to get it going in a specific direction. And it's another thing when that ball is already moving and you're running up behind it and boom, and you can really impulse it, right? Where you want it to go. And in reality, a lot of times that's what life is like. We're like, where well, my life isn't going anywhere. My time, I just seem, time just seems to be flying by and nothing's happening. What's my purpose? What am I accomplishing with my life, with my kids, with my family, with my career, with ministry, whatever? And the reality is a lot of times we just need to get moving. We just need to get a direction. We just need to pray and start somewhere, start going in some direction and trust him. As I'm going in the direction I believe he has me going in, I I allow him to move me here and there and however he needs to go. So it's important if you want the Lord to direct your steps to get, get stepping. Amen? Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish their plans. I just want to say, if I want the Lord to establish my plans, i got to have something to commit first to him. First, I have to have something to commit to him so that he can establish those plans. So instead of waiting around for one day the Lord to give me a plan, to give me a dream, to give me a purpose, to give me a direction, seek him in your relationship with him, Hear from him and do what you believe he's leading you to do or what you feel in your heart to do. And then trust him that as you do that, he's going to guide you into his purposes. Take time to plan and take your time back from the enemy of indiscipline. Number three, I'm going to take the rest of my time on this one. That is overload. Laziness is one thing. Maybe not many people in here have an issue with laziness. Indiscipline is another thing. Maybe some of us have an issue with indiscipline, but every person that lives in this generation, unless you live on a remote island 
without internet, you have at some point experienced overload. Come on, say, overload. That's what it feels like. Galatians 6, 5 says, for each one shall bear his own load. We read this last Sunday, right? Remember what that word load means? Does anybody remember? Each one shall bear his own load. And that that word means like a knapsack. It's something that you can carry. It is something that is according to your capacity and your ability. You can carry it. You don't need help carrying it. Okay? Now, we read another scripture that says that we share each other's burdens. Those are things that are too heavy for one person to carry and we need help with. But it says each one shall bear his own load. What is a load? A load is how much you can carry without pain. Without pain, right? Overload is carrying too much, which produces pain. Okay? My best example is the airport. Anybody ever been through the airports? You got to come and go with your suitcases and your backpack. Okay. Maybe not an airport. You go on a trip, whatever. It's one thing to carry a backpack that weighs a couple of pounds, you know, that has your, hopefully your Bible or whatever, change of clothes in it. You carry it around, it's fine. You can walk around that for hours and you'd be fine. It's, a, it's your load, right? But if you carry around, I, I, I traveled a lot when I was a missionary, and a lot of times I would take like three ginormous suitcases and this heavy, heavy backpack with me, and I would go all over the place. And I'm telling you, by the time I had walked through the airport a few minutes, I was hurting. And my back and neck have paid the price ever since I used to do that. I learned to pack light not because I was smart. I learned to pack light because I was in pain, right? An overload is when you carry too much, and it produces pain. Let me just help you a little bit. It's okay to have felt this before. Time overload hurts. When your time is overloaded, it produces pain. What are you talking about? When your time is too packed and too rushed, it hurts. Am I the only one that has ever experienced this? Some of you look at me like, if you have not experienced it, you will. Or maybe you're really quiet because everybody's in pain today because of time overload. It's like overload. I'm, uh, it's getting late. Let's go. All right. Time overload produces pain. As a pastor, I can really identify with this. And I'll tell you that it has to do with indiscipline and overload, the issue that I experienced for a couple of years where literally was getting to the point of my mom and my wife could tell you, like, oh, God, I don't want to burn out. You ever heard somebody say, I'm just burnt out? What happens is if you just go, 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 never stop, right? Eventually, that overload in your time creates a, I can't and I don't even want to do this anymore. I'm burnt out, right? Overload, time overload produces pain. So I want to talk to you today about something that has just 
kind of really challenged me and helped me a lot. Last year, I read this book. I gave you guys the book Boundaries last Sunday, right? I want you to read this one too. Put it on your list, all right? And it's a book called Margin. Anybody ever read Margin? Okay. <laughs> one person, thank you. Yeah, somebody else read Margin. I, I, told some, I told one of my friends, you need to read Margin. He says, I don't have enough margin to read Margin. <laughs> Thank God for Audible. All right. Get yourself Audible or something. If you don't have time to sit and read, get yourself an Audible subscription and listen to it in your car or whatever. But Margin is a book written by Richard A. Swenson. He's a doctor. And, um, and he studied this, this uh, topic for several decades. So he didn't like decided to write a book one day. Literally, he took decades to study it, to do case studies and, and like social studies and all this kind of stuff. And he, he learned that this is a new phenomenon in our generation. And that is we've lost margin. And people say, hasn't, hasn't like rushed time and stress and all that always been an issue? There's been certain stressors that have always been an issue, but never ever in the history of the world has there been a generation that our main issue with our time is that we've lost this thing called margin, okay? So this is literally something we are facing that other generations haven't really faced like we are. Now, the bigger the city you live in, the more prone you are to not having any margin. Now, we live in a pretty big one. Just the traffic of Metro Atlanta will take away all your margin, right? But margin is, an, is a major problem these days. Let me just show you, what, what is margin anyway? I think maybe you want to write down the definition. I might have it in there in your outline. But margin is the edge or border of something. It's the edge or border. It's a boundary. We're going back to boundaries again today, all right? Margin is a type of boundary. Let me show you. We all kind of had to learn uh, back in the day, and I'm not sure those of you that went to school only over the past few years that you may even know exactly what a margin is because now everything's on like an iPad and a computer and all that, but we used to have to learn handwriting with margins, all right? So let me show you. This is a margin. Can we have that, that notebook page? I think we have that. Do we have that image? Okay, so... This thing from the red line left, that whole space is called a margin. Are you supposed to write over there? No. What if you wrote an essay and you wrote over there and you filled from left to right all the way with no margin? What would you get? And if you may have written the very best essay in the whole wide world, but if you didn't respect the margin, you broke the rules and you failed, right? I don't know if that's a rule anymore, but it was in our day, okay? Margin. Let, let me uh, show us a picture of an essay written with no margin. <laughs> All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. All work and no play makes Jack. Oh, that's what it says over and over again. All right. Is that pretty? Is that enjoyable to read? If you picked up a book and it looked like that, would you be like, oh, I really want to read this. This is so enjoyable. How about an essay with margin? That's a little better, right? Doesn't that, that automatically makes your eyes feel better already, right? 
It automatically, you didn't feel like a, a little, that little twinge of anxiety that you felt when you saw the first essay with no margin, right? This one, you're like, okay, I think I can handle this, right? So what is margin? When it comes to, because we, we need margin in a lot of areas of our life. In fact, this is not only applicable to time, right? But we need margin in a lot of ways. We need margin in our money. Huh. If you use all of it and you have no margin, guess what? How about emotions? If you just use all of your emotions until there's none left, no margin, what happens? It hurts. How about energy? Talking about time and energy. If you have a certain amount of energy and you don't have any margin in that, you just don't plan and you just use it all, what happens? Pain <laughs> happens. Pain happens. So what is margin when it comes to, we're, we're talking specifically about time today, time margin, right? I'm getting to the edge of my time margin of preaching, so now I'm going to go faster. Is that okay? I'm feeling a little bit of pain because I did not create quite enough margin in my message today. Okay. When it comes to time, we need a little margin. What is margin? Here, here's, here's just some visuals of it. Margin is breathing room. Margin is discretionary time. What does discretionary mean? It means you planned everything, but you didn't plan this. It's just kind of open, right? It's discretionary. You can do whatever you decide to do at the moment. You didn't fill this block of time with a must, right? It's discretionary time. And how many of you um, go to the gym? How many of you work out? <laughs> how many of you have ever gone to a gym? How many of you have ever driven by a gym? Hallelujah. How many of you have ever seen anybody else exercise? <laughs> All right. I'm going to do something silly, and I'm probably going to regret it, but. <laughs> Margin is the rest between reps. This is not what we do, right? My workout plan is... Three sets of 50 squats. I was going to do push-ups, but I changed my mind. Okay. I, may, I might not have been able to finish the sermon. if I. Okay. My workout routine is 50 squats. Three sets, right? Three reps of 50 squats. Ready? One, two, three, 48. 49, 50, 1. That is not margin, is it? Man, that was like less than 10. And I need help. And that is because of laziness. And mainly because of indiscipline. I could exercise more. I just need to plan it better. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Chandra. All right. Amen. <laughs> Loving the amen corner this morning. All right. <laughs> Margin. See, if you just go, 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 with no time to just breathe. If you're just like compress, 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 and no little bit of, let me decompress a little bit. 
you can handle it for a little while, but eventually overload hurts. Eventually it hurts. I can carry around my, my, my little boy, Oliver, he probably weighs close to 40 pounds now. I can carry him around for a few minutes and be okay. Like, it's more than I would normally carry around. It might be slightly an, an, an overload. But it's okay for a couple of minutes. But if you keep being overloaded and overloaded and overloaded, and you ha- I have to carry him around, you know, the entire airport all the way to the gate because he's sick. By the time I get there, I'm going to be hurting. Right? See, margin is breathing room. It's rest between reps. It's like, it's, it's a little bit of decompression. And margin literally is, I'm carrying slightly less than I actually could. That's what it means to have margin. See, I, I'm going to just give you these little equations that I put up there for you. Margin Uh, Sorry, no margin means that you're walking with a full load. But eventually, a full load leads to inevitable overload. Why? What are you going to do with the extra stuff that gets thrown at you if you're already fully loaded? If there is no margin, there's no room for the unexpected. And let me just... Explain something. If you are young, you may not have experienced this very much yet. But life is unpredictable and unexpected things will come. And if there's no room for you to receive it, if there's no margin, you're totally loaded. And then all of a sudden you're overloaded. And maybe you can handle the unexpected for a little bit. But if it's, there's no margin, it's just one thing on top of another, on top of another. You're so overloaded that eventually you can't anymore. Because consistent overload leads to burnout. Margin is the opposite of overload. Margin means I carry a little less than my full load. So, again, let me just say, I could, okay, margin is I could lift 280. One day. (laughs) But because I don't want to absolutely kill myself, I'm going to lift 260. That's margin. Could I lift 280? Could I? Yes. Okay. (laughs) But I am choosing not to lift my full load to make... Room for the unexpected. What if I didn't eat my Wheaties that morning and all of a sudden 280s, 280 was too much and it comes crashing down on top of me? Or what if all of a sudden somebody walks by and they didn't mean to, but they bumped into me and I was carrying my full load, but because they bumped into me, it added a little bit on me and boom, it came down and broke me. That would break me. But if I'm only carrying 260, if I'm only lifting 260... And then somebody comes by and accidentally bumps into me. Whoa, it equaled 280 and I was able to hold it, right? Because I had some margin. Are you applying this to time yet in your brain, right? Okay, so 
Margin is the opposite of overload. Margin is doing a little less than you actually can. Because that part, that, that less part that you're doing is going to get filled with something. Okay? One of our uh, mentors as pastors always said this as pastors. He said, plan to have two days off a week because something is going to fill one of them at least. Okay? If you don't plan two, you'll get none. Okay? And that's what margin is. I'm not saying everybody should plan two days off a week, okay? But that's just an example of what I'm talking about. Margin makes room in my load or in my capacity so that extra things don't create overload so quickly. If I'm totally booked and my time is totally spent, there's no room for the unexpected. And so let me just... Bring it all back down to this. What will you do when unexpected things happen and they don't look fit? I've been there. I'll tell you, can can I be just like open and raw and just, is that all right? As a pastor, this this gets really real. Especially when you have a growing church and People want to talk to you, and they want to call you, and they want to text you, and now Facebook age, like anybody can message you at 3 o'clock in the morning if they want to, and, and I used to tend to absolutely everybody in the moment, no margin whatsoever, until I got burnt out, and I realized it is not people's fault, it is my fault. I have no margin, I have no boundary in that area of my time. And because I don't have margin, because I don't have a boundary on my time, I have no margin for my emotions and for my energy. Right? And so this is what ends up happening. If I tend to every single little thing, every single little person, my dog is sick, come lay hands on him. You know, like, I'm being silly, but really, okay? And my time gets absolutely stacked full, no room left, no margin. Then somebody comes with an actual real need that I need to tend to, and I have nothing left for you. Why? Whose fault is it? Mine. If you find yourself just totally spent and burnt out, and you just don't have anything else left to give, I want to challenge you with something. I'm saying with all the love and gentleness in my heart, take responsibility for your own time. Take responsibility for your own margin. People don't know. Unexpected things will come. And we've got to intentionally make some room for it, right? So that it doesn't overload us. As you, as you become, we become extreme, you know, great discipline, good at disciplining our time and planning. How about plan some margin? Literally plan it. Like, I plan to do nothing right here. (laughs) That's the plan, okay? I plan to do this, 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 and here I plan nothing. I can do whatever I want. There's room for, in case something unexpected happens, it can fall right there. It's okay, right? All right. Um, Those of you that are super, super busy people, because I know that we have some of those, I want to give you a tip. Don't just, are you ready? Don't just not overbook yourself. 
Don't just not overbook yourself. Because we all know I shouldn't overbook myself. I can't fit more things into more time slots because there's no, no, no. Don't just not overbook yourself. Slightly underbook yourself. Slightly underbook yourself. Maybe book yourself 5 or 10% less than what you can accomplish. So that when unexpected things come, there's a time slot for it to go into. We got, we got lots of business people and ministry people and busy moms and dads and all kinds of stuff I know. Is this helping anybody? If any of it's helping me, help me, Jesus. All right. As we get ready to, to, to finish right now, I want you to understand something. Margin was God's idea. He didn't need it, <laughs> but he set an example for us of this. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. Creation. He hadn't finished his work forever in the world. He just finished the work of creation, okay? And then so he rested or ceased. That's what that word means there. He ceased from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. God rested, y'all, not because he was tired. God didn't rest because he was tired. God rested because he had finished his weekly load. He planned to do it all in six days, and he finished his weekly load, and then he ceased for a day. Say margin. And then later, he kept right on working. This isn't just having, about having a Sabbath. This is a whole principle to apply to our lives and our time. We need to understand there's a certain amount that we should try to do every day, every week. And then we should cease for just a little bit. Right? And then we keep on going. Actually, if you don't cease for a little bit every now and then, you won't keep on going, right? Margin is holy. He said he called that day holy. This principle is holy. This is something that, that as the people of God, we should apply it to our lives. I've met people in ministry and they would say this, I, can, I will never be able to get this phrase out of my brain. And I am so glad they said it because it has helped me learn not to do this. They would say, and they said it again and again, rest? Why am I talking about rest? I'll rest when I go to the grave. The problem with that is you can do that, but that's overload. And overload will create literal burnout. <laughs> you will die. I want to rest so that I cannot go to the grave yet. <laughs> I want to have some margin so I can keep on going. So that I can continue to have energy and money and emotional strength and time. I encourage you and your family. Come on, this is just practical tips for you today. To create small daily, small daily margins and larger weekly 
marches. Now, let me tell you what I'm working on. This is what I'm, I'm just being public and honest. I'm working on this one. I've gotten pretty good at it over the past few months, okay? I plan, we plan to have supper at 7 o'clock every day. So I have created this whole margin of I plan to be finished with work at 6 o'clock. Not 6.55. Not even 6.45. Okay? If I want to be sure that I have some margin in case the unexpected happens, which when you're a pastor, it happens every day. Or nine times out of ten, right? If my plan is seven, I'm going to try to be done at six so that I can actually breathe, right? Another thing we do, um, this is just our family, right? I know that this doesn't apply to most of you because most of you aren't pastors, but we don't have a weekend. Why are y'all looking at me like that? Like, talking about. I mean, we have Saturday and Sunday as actual days in our calendar, but we're not off. Like, hello. <laughs> like, the weekend, especially Sunday, is the busiest day. So we've created, let's just call it Margin Mondays, right? We just plan nothing on Mondays. We plan, like, if you look at my planner, Tuesday through Sunday is full, except for the little margin between 6 and 7, right? And then Monday, there's nothing planned. What do we do? Whatever in the world we feel like as a family. I know that for most of you, that wouldn't be Monday, all right? For most of you, that would be Saturday or Sunday evening. But just take some time in your daily schedule and just plan a little bit of breathing room. Take some time in your family schedule and plan a day or even a half day, if you can, of just, we don't plan to do anything but just be, right? But just breathe. Let's destroy the idol of busyness in this generation. It is an idol. It's almost like being busy makes us feel valuable. Like being busy makes us feel important. You are important and invaluable no matter how busy you are or are not. Destroy that. Busyness does not determine your value. I know a lot of people that are busy, 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 and it's like they're not even happy. They're not enjoying life. They're not enjoying family. They're not enjoying ministry if they're serving in ministry. Sometimes we're so busy. Sometimes I'm so busy that I don't have time to love God and love people. I've rushed right by people that I should have given them just 30 seconds of my time. But guess what? I had no margin, so just rush right by them. I've not prayed the few minutes that I could and should have prayed because I just didn't have enough margin to do it. So I just had to rush. This will not happen on its own. It takes being intentional about it. But being busy, 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 so busy that you don't have time to love God and love people, that is not the call of God. That is not the will of God. 
Yes, God wants us to be productive. But he also wants us to, come on, take a deep one. He wants us to breathe. He's the breath of life. The word says, in him we live and move and have our being. But sometimes we even lose our consciousness of God because we're just... Breathe. Final scripture, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. You want to know him? You want to know who he is and what he's like? Take a couple of minutes and just, just breathe. He'll be there. In fact, he's always there. I just don't notice it sometimes because I don't take any margin. You stand to your feet.